right, if we could find our way to our seats. By the way, regarding the visitor's reception, that is for the benefit of any of you that are visiting today for the first time, but it's also for any of you that have started coming to Cornerstone in the last uh, few months and you've not uh, attended a membership class. So if if over the last uh, two or three or four months you've been attending Cornerstone, um, then you're welcome to to head over there and, and give us the opportunity to meet you and and uh, we'd like to just talk with you for a little bit, just give you an idea of what our church is all about and answer whatever questions that you have. Well, we're very blessed, uh, as Mike has already said, to have Charles Morris uh, with us uh, in our service this morning, who's going to be bringing the word to us. His wife, Janet, is, um, is also here in the service uh, with us. We're happy to have both of you uh, here today. Uh, Charles, in my opinion, is an absolutely wonderful brother, one of the humblest, most delightful and most gracious human beings you will ever meet. So if you have not met him, I hope that after the service, you'll take the opportunity to to do that. Um, I also found out some things about him this week. I, I Googled him and it's just a little thing I do sometimes to check up on people in our church and um <laughs> And also guest speakers and things like that. But here's what I found out. He was a broadcast news reporter, served as uh, editor and bureau chief for UPI, United Press International, and as a press secretary for two United States senators. Also, he uh, worked as an assistant to James Montgomery Boyce, one of the great commentators, expositors of, of our uh, generation Um, So those are some things that I learned about him. He, in 2000, I believe it was, started serving as um, with Haven Ministries as the voice of that uh, that broadcast and Haven Ministries. uh, Their radio program reaches uh, 500, 600 stations and and also around the world because you can access it uh, on the Internet uh, also. Uh, But today he serves as the speaker and the president of Haven Ministries. And really what what Haven Ministries is all about and what this man is all about. In fact, this is the motto telling the great story. It's all about Jesus. And any time that I've ever uh, spent fellowshipping with uh, Charles as he's thinking through like radio programs that he's putting together sometimes a month or two or even further in advance, whether it's the the economic uh, slowdown, the market crash, or people going through uh, times of trial and difficulty who are hurting, uh, people who are in despair, people who are in need of salvation and the forgiveness of sins, whatever Charles Morris does, his ultimate goal is to point people to Jesus and to help them to see Christ as the answer to whatever it is Uh, that they stand in need of. And if you'll look at the blue insert that's in your bulletin this morning, you know, today we're beginning a study uh, entitled Through the Eyes of Jesus, just for the month of December. And um, it's basically a study on the church. But what we're wanting to do is to see the church as Jesus sees the church. Uh, But as we start that emphasis uh, this month, on this day, we, we thought that uh, the best way to start seeing the church through Jesus' eyes is, first of all, to take a look at Jesus and to see him. And I can't think of uh, anyone better and more qualified to lead us in that endeavor than our brother Charles Morris. So that's what we've asked him to do. And Charles, we're very happy to have you with us this morning. Why don't you come and Share with us what God has laid on your heart, and let's give our brother a very warm cornerstone welcome. I'm still overdressed. <laughs> and at the first service, I was unprepared. 
I, I, I grabbed out of the car my sermon notes and Sally Joy Lloyd-Jones' Jesus Storybook Bible. Not the Bible. So uh, now I, I'm a little more prepared, but I'm still overdressed. You were wearing a suit the last time I was here, Milton. You didn't tell me. You had. I almost got on the phone and called Aurelia and said, you know, you got an extra large shirt you could just bring over here in a few minutes. So, and then... Where'd the organ go? <laughs> and now we got the we get the drums, we got percussion back here. This is this is amazing. I think it's been six years since I was last here. And uh it's good to be here. This is a great church. And uh and Mike, thank you for the music. Um that last song, Graham Kendrick and Paul Beloche, was just very, very meaningful to me. Would you join me as I take my coat off and <laughs> is all right, I'll do it. I'll do it, Milton. Does anybody have a tie on here at all besides me? There's not a tie in the house except this one. Oh, uh, uh, you can leave it on, but I do, not, I do not see the person that was here at the last service, so I can tell this. The only hint was she was wearing a hat, and she said, I'm so glad to see a man of God dressed like a man of God. And I thought, uh-oh. <laughs> So forgive me for anyone who is embarrassed if I take the tie off. But, you know, on the, <laughs> on the East Coast, they are getting back to wearing suits and church and sport coats and ties. And, you know, it was, was um, they are, but thank goodness not in Riverside today. So <laughs> would you join me in the next few minutes in praying that God comes down. God comes down on us today. Let's ask him right now. Father in heaven, you have promised to be with your people when they meet in the name of Jesus. And so we ask not only to, for you to fulfill that promise, but for us to actually see that promise fulfilled. In Christ's name, amen. Well, my wife Janet and I are so happy to be with you today, especially because we were able to partake of the Lord's Supper with you. These are special words, words of Christ that Pastor Milton just shared with us a few moments ago. As we join with Christians through the centuries in observing this Last Supper, Lord's Supper, Holy Communion, Eucharist, something that our Lord asked us to do, and we got to do together this morning as believers in Christ. Now, it's there at the Last Supper, but Jesus also uses Last Supper Lord's Supper language in other places as well. He does it in the passage we'll be looking at in a few minutes. He does it in John 6 in the feeding of 5,000. You know the story, of course. It's earlier in John and what we're going to look at. He had all the people sit down. He asked the disciples to put the people into groups. All the men and the women and the children that were there, it was more than 5,000, of course, we're just told that was the number of men because that's the way they counted in those days. And, and then we're told he took the bread. The John account isn't as full as another account in the Gospels. And when he had given thanks, he broke the bread and served it. And then the same thing with the fish that the little boy had provided and a little later, he made that most amazing remark in John 6:41. Same passage, not too many verses afterwards. He said, I am the bread of life that came from heaven. Ego me, the great I am. I've come down from heaven and I'm proclaiming Myself as the bread of heaven. It's what he did. Now this time it was not with thunder and lightning like Mount Sinai. It was not as a, a pillar cloud in the daytime or a, or a pillar of fire at night. This 
was God coming down from heaven in another way. And had God not come down from heaven in this way, had not the bread of life come down from heaven, where would we be today? The little Greek word, katabasis, there could be that of the mother stooping down to her child to care for her child, to tend her child. That's an image used in the Psalms and of the prophets also to describe the compassion of God for the God of Israel. Uh, or it could mean the vigorous and swift descent of a friend coming to aid another friend against the attacks from a, from a foe. But the most dynamic meaning of this passage, of this word, is the awesome descent of God to reveal His glory and His power in people like you and me. People who don't deserve to have Him. And as we celebrate Christmas in the next few weeks, I can't help but think of how the Gospel writer Matthew opens, saying he will be called Jesus, Yeshua, God saves. And then he, later, he also uses the word uh, he's called Emmanuel, God with us, telling us that in the name of this living bread, Jesus, God is coming to save. And then Emmanuel. I'm thinking of being in the Pacific Northwest just a few weeks ago, and uh, we decided uh, with the radio station that we're on there in Seattle to have an In Christ Alone evening. And we decided not to make it a traditional concert where afterwards Keith and Kristen Getty would stand around and autograph albums for people that bought their CDs. They did that afterwards. We decided also that I just wouldn't be there to do a ministry pep talk. We decided we would make this an In Christ Alone evening. And in a church about a mile from Microsoft's world headquarters, a very affluent area, Bellevue, Washington, we worshipped together with an eight-piece Irish band and a great fiddle player, too, I might add, with blonde hair and blue eyes from Alberta, Canada. She wasn't exactly Irish, but she was good. We prayed for God to come down. As Christians from all over Seattle came together to break bread, and drink from the cup together. Most of us had never met each other. And God came down that evening. And afterwards, I've never shaken hands with as many people as that evening, as I was at the back and greeting people as they left, telling me of their problems. There were people with illnesses. You, you always get that when you speak somewhere, and especially if, if, if there's someone that's listened to Haven of Rest, now Haven Today, for many years. There are always going to be people who grew up with us, and they've got some problems, and they know they can share that with our ministry, so they share it with me. But there are also many, many people, more than I've ever had, talk to me about how they're struggling, and struggling because of the economy. There was the homeless couple who came. They don't have a house to live in. They have a car to live in with one window missing. They had come that night so that they could worship the Lord and spend the night in the parking lot because they thought that would be a safe place to stay so that they could already be at church the next morning and worship the Lord again. Never before in my ten years at Haven Ministries, as Milton mentioned, have I heard so many people pouring out their hearts for what they are struggling with. But never in my ten years in Haven Ministries have I heard so many people also then tell me how the Lord has become more real in their lives in this past year. And they're sensing that the Lord is near. Now what about you? Our Haven Ministries office is, is almost in Corona, but we're barely in Riverside now. We've, 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 we're in Hollywood for like 65 years in a building that looks like a boat because we were the good ship Grace. You did that back in the 30s in the Great Depression when we were founded. Uh, but our office is actually in Riverside. Our agency and another studio is in, is in uh, uh, Irvine that we use a lot. 14.5% unemployment here in the Inland Empire. And maybe it's going to go down just a nudge 
when we get the new figures in another week or so. It went down slightly nationwide. Just It was reported a couple of days ago. What are you depending on? What is your life all about? Two weeks ago, a fellow that Janet and I know, he's, he's the, one of the leading Toyota salesmen in the United States. He was telling us that, that at his dealership in Orange County, people came in and tried to buy 45 cars two weekends ago, and only half could qualify for financing. FICA scores that had been in the 700s are now in the 500s. Well, it's a different world we live in today, isn't it? What about you? Tomorrow morning down in Hemet, authorities will try once again to make sense of that family squabble where a son was murdered, killed, and then his body was burned, buried in the backyard. And now the police are trying to sort it out. Probably some family members will go to jail. I'm thinking of another place 100 miles north of here yesterday where one of our Haven team members, Jim Grams, went into a maximum security lockup and met with a 17-year-old young man who last Saturday night, a week ago Saturday night, murdered another young man, or he's accused of it, and he's admitted to it. And our Jim Grams yesterday, for the very first time in this young man's life, shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with him. And there, staring at a potential lethal injection if he's tried as an adult, he asked for Jesus Christ to become his Savior. And probably for the first time in his life, he realized the depths of his sins. Well, he saw his need for a Savior. Not just a Savior from lethal injection, but a, a, a Savior who died for him on the cross. Well, no matter our circumstances, and, and I, I'm, I'm sure there aren't circumstances that bleak here today, but I know there's somebody sitting here today who is staring death in the face. I think it's all right. I think it's proper for us to ask today for God to come down and visit us. And he can do it. So we ought to hang on to that. Now, let's look at a passage of Scripture I've been chewing on lately. John chapter 1, last chapter. This is where Jesus makes his third appearance to the disciples since he went to the cross. Uh, after he was buried, after he rose again. Same chapter where Jesus asks Peter three times if he really loves him. And, and you know what Peter says? You know I do, Lord. Well, probably remembering not too many days before that he had denied his Lord three times. John 21 is where we're headed. And the disciples had gone back to where they had grown up, where Jesus had spent most of his ministry, the Galilee region. They had all gone fishing at night. They hadn't caught anything. Early in the morning, they were drawing near the shore, and there in the mists of a Galilee dawn was a man on the beach cooking breakfast over a charcoal fire. Now that word for charcoal fire in the original is used in only one other place in the New Testament. And that was the charcoal fire burning in the chief priest's courtyard in the middle of the night as Jesus was being flogged and tortured down in the dungeon basement. I mentioned that at the earlier service because two years ago, Milton, Donna, Janet, myself, Aurelio, Peggy, Gordon, Jill, we were all there. We were actually standing in that very courtyard. We went down in that dungeon. Uh, we actually saw a misty morning on the, Gal on the Sea of Galilee. Well, that's where this charcoal fire was burning, and it's the second mention of a charcoal fire in all the New Testament. Peter, no doubt, must have imagined what he had done just a few days before over another charcoal fire. And he finally realizes, even though he doesn't recognize him at first, that his Lord is there cooking breakfast for him over a charcoal fire. Remarkable, isn't it? Well, let's listen to how he was there. And even though they didn't see he was there. And usually, I don't know what version you're using, but Milton says it's okay. Why don't I use the ESV today? But please, if you have your Bible open, let's just start with verse 1. And would you mind standing with me? And together, uh, I'll read aloud, but together, let's read the word of the Lord. 
After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, or Galilee. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we'll go with you. And they went out and got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord. He put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Remarkable. Come and have breakfast. Jesus speaking to the disciples. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew. By this time, it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. And this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. That's the word of the Lord to us today from John 21. You can be seated. Let's pray. Dear God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, we may not always see you when you're already here, but could we see you this morning just as the disciples saw you in that early morning mist by the Sea of Galilee, would you make yourself known to us today? In Christ's name, amen. How do we handle a passage like this? We could weave it into a message on saving souls. Uh, I've done that. I know Milton would have done that. Mike has probably done that before. Uh, we could use it to talk about some neat illusions in the book of John. John is just kind of throwing our way. It's really neat just to study the Bible and look for this in the book of John. We could talk about the series of threes, something John likes to do. This is the third appearance of Jesus after the resurrection. This is the third year of Christ's ministry. And here we are back on the fishing side of the Sea of Galilee where it all began. And in the next passage, Jesus asks those three questions of Peter. Do you love me? But from the passage we just read, and, and, and knowing some of the issues facing all of us here today, myself included, unemployment, lost houses, lower credit scores, that murder in Bishop last two Saturday nights ago, the burning of a son in Hemet, and then my own life, I see three things that I'm getting from this passage today in John 21. First, Jesus is near. Second, we think he's far. And third, he's really here. First, Jesus is near. Jesus appears again to the disciples, this time by the Sea of Galilee. Verse 4, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. And then we have this conversation from the disciples still out on the boat with the unknown man speaking to them. Second, we think he's far. They didn't know who he was. They didn't recognize him. Just like the disciples on Resurrection Day, the two, probably a married couple, we don't know for sure though, on their way to Emmaus. And here in John 21, the disciples had left Jerusalem and had gone back fishing. Jesus had told them to wait. And the Gospels are a little confusing at this point. But somehow, thinking he was not near, they went back home and went fishing at Peter's instigation. And they had caught nothing all night. 
And there, in the early misty hours of a Galilee dawn back at the shore, there's this person over a charcoal fire inviting them to come and have breakfast. Early in the morning, verse 4, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. So first, Jesus is near. Second, we think he's far. And third, he's really here. He called out to them, friends, haven't you caught any fish? Now, where have we heard this before? What about three years earlier when he first called them to fish for him at the beginning of his ministry on earth? And that's when he said, I want you to come and follow me and fish for men. And now here he says, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. Well, just throw your net out on the right side of the boat. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net into the boat because they had caught too many fish. Now, we've always heard Peter referred to as the big fisherman. There was a movie out. We're not talking about the Pope. But there was a book written on the big fisherman. He must have been a strong man to have gone back and personally hauled that net ashore with all those fish and were intentionally told that the net did not break. Verse 7, Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, of course, said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, taking it off when he'd been fishing, and he jumped in the water. Isn't that so Peterish to do that? The other disciples followed in the boat, about a hundred yards offshore, we're told, and when they landed, there was that charcoal fire with the fish on it, and there was also bread. And they knew for sure it was the Lord. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. Simon Peter drugged that net, 153 fish inside, the net not torn. Jesus said, come and have breakfast. And we're told none of the disciples dared ask, who are you? We're told by this time they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and he took bread and he gave it to them. And he did the same thing with the fish. And this was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. I find it so interesting that just like at the Last Supper, Milton shared those words with us, and just like when he blessed and broke the bread at dinner in Emmaus, and just like at the feeding of the 5,000, here again we have communion language. Jesus serves up a meal. He blesses the meal. He breaks the bread and hands out the bread and the fish. And there, are, there is, of course, that great meal that all of us get to look forward to when again we will have communion with our Lord Jesus Christ. And believe me, that will be the Last Supper. A supper that will go on for eternity. It's symbolism at its highest that we read here, just as we celebrated a few minutes ago. And it works for us today as it did back then. It's what we need, what we need to hear. Because like the disciples back then, how soon we forget. First, Jesus is near. Second, we think he's far. And third, he's really here. If Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, do you see today, this morning, at Cornerstone, that he is near? Can you sense his presence? Are you a little nervous when I suggest that we pray that God come down on us today? It's a worthy prayer. Because he's here. The only answer for us is to see him anew. To see him afresh. To see him all over again. He never left. And that's the dilemma we face. He told the disciples in John 20, just before the passage we read, because you have seen me, you believed. And he was speaking specifically to doubting Thomas. He went on to say in John 20, 29, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. It's after that in the final verses of John 20 that we read the purpose of John's gospel. That's where he said Jesus, John actually wrote this. It's not the words of Jesus. John wrote, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you, 
may have life in his name. And then there's this fishing scene in John 21 that we just read together. Jesus said, I go away to prepare a place for you. But then he also said, I will never leave you. I will be with you always. He sent his spirit to lead us to faith, but just as much to keep us in faith. He sent his spirit to pray the prayers that we don't even know how to pray. To live inside us so that we could live in the light. I am the light, Jesus said. And we could walk in the light of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our King. I believe today, in, in, in a very mysterious way that's hard to explain, we can see Jesus if we know him, even though in another sense he's not yet with us. We may not yet be able to touch him like Thomas could have, to see that new body but still with the nail scars and the hands and the side pierced by a Roman soldier. And yet, though, through his power and by his grace, he not only saves us, but every day he keeps saving us. And you can bank on that, no matter how much or how little you have in your bank account. His grace saves. His grace keeps God the Father is with us through God the Son. And through whatever mists are holding back our vision of faith, if we ask, we can see him. Because he is the bread of life. And he came down from heaven. And he's still with us today. First, Jesus is near. Second, we think he's far. Third, he's really here. How is this going to happen? What practical advice could I offer all of us today? And I'm preaching to myself first and foremost. I'm not just preaching to you today. Well, I know. Milton said it a moment ago. This is the beginning of a series on the family. Leading up to Christmas here at Cornerstone. Yet, how can we have Jesus with our family if he's not first with us? Individually. If we cannot see him and his glory at work in us. He no longer dwells in that temple that you could see anywhere in ancient Jerusalem. The Shekinah glory departed the Holy of Holies at the crucifixion. The massive curtain was ripped from top to bottom so that everybody could see he wasn't there. And 40 years later, Rome tried to prove he wasn't there by, by taking apart the city and that temple stone by stone. That temple built by Herod the Great, the scoundrel, was torn down. And now today, only some foundation and a wailing wall used for, for praying by Orthodox Jews is left. But, of course, on top... It's a massive Muslim mosque with an amazing covering of gold leaf. That's what you can see all around Jerusalem today. That's all that's left. How can we have Jesus, though, in our family today in Riverside if he's not first with us? How can we see the Lord at work in our families and in his church in Riverside if he's not first with us? And that's where he is, though if we are alive in Christ alone. He is who we need, whether we've ever married, whether we've been married several times, whether we are a very young person coming of age and just realizing that we are a sinner and have fallen short of God's grace, or whether we are a young person hoping to get married sometime. Well, it's kind of like that young man accused of murder. Outside Bishop, about 100 miles north of here in a maximum security lockup, who realized just yesterday the depth of his sin and the provision of a Savior. Did you know just the last two days, this is a 17-year-old guy who for the very first time in his life read the Gospel of John. This is America. We have needs, even in the Inland Empire. He's who we need, even if we think we're a really good person and not a recovering Pharisee like I do. 
We need Jesus. And once we know we need him, then God can come into our lives and into our hearts and it happens over and over again. Yes, I do believe in the security of salvation. The security of my salvation is I was saved once and for all, but my Christ Jesus continually saves me every day. It's ongoing grace. It had a point in time to start, but it's grace that will keep me and lead me home. That's the saving power of grace. Last night I was reading these lines. Let me share them with you. I am not the ultimate end of the gospel, but God's glory is. That actually enables me to embrace my salvation more boldly than I would otherwise dare to do. The more I embrace and experience the gospel, the more I delight in the worship of God. The more expressive my joy in Him becomes, the more I yearn to glorify Him in all I say and do. Page 54. Milton Vincent, a gospel primer for Christians. Well, that's the end of part one of my sermon. You ready for another 30 minutes? No. I couldn't believe it. Milton said I could have 50 minutes. You're probably the only church in Riverside County that would say that to someone who's coming in from the outside to preach Milton. But thank you very much. I appreciate it. Part two. (laughs) The application. How do we see Jesus? How do you and I see Jesus personally today? And here's where it gets tricky. Especially since we prayed and asked for God to come down to us today. And I hope you really prayed that, sincerely prayed that with me today. If we can get this right, then the next few messages that you're going to have the next few weeks will fall into place. Because without us getting this message right, we can't get the application right. Because we keep wanting to try to do it. Do it. Do it. We want to do it in our own strength. And we keep wanting to think we can do it because we're a good person. I don't know about you, but I'm a good person every morning when I get up. Although Janet will tell you it's a struggle for me to get up. I don't even know if I'm a night or a morning person at this point in my life. I make Janet tea first, Charles coffee second. And when I get one mug down me, I'm really a good person when I start praying and reading the Word. But don't ask anybody that works with me by the afternoon what I am. And please don't ask Janet what I am that night when we finally get together. How was your day? I don't even want to talk about it. Let's not go there. I don't know about you, but I need Jesus. I want to see Jesus today. I want to know Jesus as Matthew opens his gospel. Jesus, Yeshua, God saves. I want to know Jesus Christ, the Lord, as Emmanuel, God with us, as Matthew opens. But I also want to remember the words of Jesus like Matthew closes the gospel, where Matthew says, I am with you always. And I need him always, today and every day. I don't always believe that. Do you have trouble believing that like I do? It's all right to confess. I mean, we're told we can confess our sins to one another I think that's a worthy sin to be able to fess up to. I don't believe that he's with me always. Now, we could give a list. We just want lists. Success books, thank the Lord, are not selling as well as they were a few years ago. And thankfully, Oprah's retiring next year, and I don't want to offend anybody again. But... uh, I like somebody to just tell me how to do it. Don't you? But it doesn't work that way with the gospel. Grace is more mysterious than that, but grace is more powerful than that. Because when somebody starts giving you the list, it's always a list that you can't fulfill. And lists have their start and their ending in me. Most of the time. So, my greatest need... 
is to know my need. I guess that could be a number one, but do you ever feel needy? I do, every day, for the Lord Jesus Christ to be there and to say things to me like coming at breakfast. Come to me, you're heavy, laden, you're burdened. I'll give you rest. Come to me. I'm the light. I'm the life. I'm the bread of life. I'm the living water. When I think I have it all straight and worked out, I'm in, chances are I'm in greater need of needing Jesus. Now, we could go theological. We could talk about the Ordo Salutis, and I'm not going to do that today. It's like uh, the theologian J.I. Packer, who I got to spend an afternoon with this summer, who's 99% brain and about 1% heart, but, but he, 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 he said, you know, Charles... He said, theology has to include the heart. Otherwise, it's dead. And if he said it, I'll believe it. I think he was right, too. How does this work in our lives? Let me tell you how this worked in my life. Uh, leading a ministry, a parachurch ministry, we have two seasons. And I discovered this ten years ago when I came. Every end of year, we're going broke. Every mid-year, as we go into the summer, we're going broke. Then we get this news of this recession. Thankfully, our board gathered last, I don't know, really, oh, November, December sometime, got together, and someone had the very bright idea that we should cut our budget just in case this recession was bad. So we cut our budget 20%. Great idea. We put in place all these things. I was feeling good about it. And we were actually meeting our budget at 20% less than our budget the year before. Oh, my goodness. Then August came. Got to August. The bottom fell out. What do you do when you're heading a parachurch ministry and the bottom falls out? You do like every good person does. You get on the phone and you call your fundraising consultant. He's a Christian fundraising consultant. He's also a fundraising consultant. But on the way back here in September from being uh, in another place, Janet and I were driving and I started developing what we found out was a fever. We didn't even know it was a fever until we got home and Janet found a thermometer and I think she had to put a new battery in it. 103. And I'd been that hot for two days. No wonder she kept speaking harshly to me as I was trying to drive down the five. <laughs> I was out of my mind, literally. But in that time of that great high fever, God came down and led me to John 21. And John 21 goes on to where Peter asks, is asked those three questions by Jesus, do you love me? And God broke my heart. For me, having to be asked those questions too. Because I don't love him like I should. And God told me, I hate to say that, it sounds like I'm a flaming charismatic, which I'm not, but God told me, just feed sheep. But you need to be fed first. That's where we all need to be. And sometimes it takes a great high fever to get there. Sometimes it takes death. Sometimes it takes losing the job or losing the house and living in your car with one broken window. So let me give you some steps quickly on how to see Jesus in your life because we all like steps. Here's just a few and I'll run through them quickly. First, start seeing Christ in all the Scripture. In Luke 24, when Jesus was walking beside those two disciples on the road to Emmaus. You remember the account. Go back and read it this afternoon. Remember what he did? He opened the Scriptures to them and showed them himself. Not in the New Testament. In the Hebrew Bible. He showed them himself. All of the portions of the Hebrew Bible, if you look at it closely. See Christ in all the Scripture, whether it's in the Psalms or whether it's in the Exodus. Second, read yourself into the scripture when you pray and when you meditate. See yourself as one of those disciples in John 21. You've been fishing. You've been maybe fishing in the wrong way. 
You don't even see that Jesus is already with you and you think he's not with you. See yourself as Isaiah saw himself. We, we sang that Paul Baloch song just a moment ago when he saw the Lord in Isaiah 6 and said, Woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. God undid him that day. He can undo you today. Because that's how we discover grace anew and afresh in our lives. He saw that he was corrupt in himself and by himself. And the bottom fell out for Isaiah that day that on what he had been standing and building gave way beneath his feet. Maybe that needs to happen with you. And I know the Lord has done that to me. Three, pray that you pray. Then pray. Pray that you pray. Then pray. And I'm not going to tell you how many minutes, and I'm not going to tell you what time of day, and I'm not going to tell you to follow the ACT system. Yes, there are good tools back out there that we can employ, but pray that you pray. Then pray. It's not rote. It's doing because all you have is need. But that's the best place to be. Because that's when you see Jesus. Fourth, never, never, Never give up. No. Never, never, never move away from the cross. Just listen to this man preach every Sunday and you'll be going in the right direction. Cling to it. Hang on to it for dear life because it's only in the cross that there is life. Ponder the cross like we did when we took the Lord's Supper. The cross didn't just save you once upon a time. Christ's death on the cross keeps you saved. Five, seek to walk in the Spirit and have the very mind of Christ through the Spirit of Christ working in you. Make sure you go back. Read Galatians frequently. We walk by the Spirit, Galatians 5.16, and we will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Read of this freedom that we have in Christ because of the cross. And sixth, let the cross of Christ grow in your life. And that's what the preaching to the gospel to yourself is all about. It always starts with repentance. To go deeper in the Christian life is simply to realize that we are bigger sinners than we ever thought. And that Jesus is a bigger Savior than we ever conceived Him to be. That's sanctification. It's not you doing anything. It's not you getting better and better. It's the cross getting bigger and bigger until you actually see Him face to face. Let's pray. Lord, I want to see you. Jesus, you said if you've seen the Son, you've seen the Father. I want to see the Son today. I want to know and have my heart burn like those disciples at Emmaus who reflected back on when Jesus shared himself in all the Hebrew Bible and they said, didn't our hearts burn within us after they knew it was the Lord? Lord, as we sing together this song that contains the gospel by Keith and Kristen Getty, may we raise our voices, may we lift our hands, May in our minds and hearts we see Jesus, some of us, for the very first time, all of us, for one more time. And may we just hang on to the cross and never let go because you don't let go of us. I pray this now in the name of Jesus, in Christ alone. Amen.